Christ may be known and heard and followed by others whose lives we touch. Amen. You may be seated. So this is the first of two sermons on forgiveness. And what I'm about to read for you is from the Gospel of Matthew is a parable. And a parable is sort of simply an earthly story that points to the divine. Parables oftentimes begin when Jesus says, tells them. He often begins with the phrase, and it's supposed to have us sit up and take notice, that the kingdom of God is like uses a simile and goes on to tell a story. I actually just decided moments ago that not only will I read the scripture and the sermon that comes from it, but in between, I'll share with you a story that isn't really part of the sermon, but sort of where life comes close to scriptural stories. Several of you have heard this story before because I I did share it once um, a few years back. But from the Gospel of Matthew, the 18th chapter, a parable about forgiveness. At one point, Peter got up the nerve to ask Jesus, Lord, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? And Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. And Jesus continued, the kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man to be sold. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and demanded the man pay back the entire debt. And that's exactly what my father in heaven will do to each of us who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. This ends the reading. From the Gospel of Matthew. So here's the story, not the sermon, that matches it. I was probably six or seven, and it was a rainy day. My brothers must have been bored. They're seven and nine years older than I am. And so they said, yes, because I was begging, you can play Monopoly with us. This was unusual to be included me. That was too dumb and young. And so, of course, I didn't get to be the race car. I didn't get to be the top hat. 
at one of the crummy pieces, but I still got to play, right? And we're going along and I'm making some poor decisions. I've run out of money rather quickly. I say to one of my, to both my brothers, come on, let me keep playing, let me play, let me play, please, let me play. And they're like, yeah, yeah, all right, that's, that's fine. They, you know, let me play for a while. I passed go, I got some more money. I, you know, got a bank error in my favor. I started to come back and then, and then, because of what I think of probably my brilliant business acumen, things began to go my way. I put up a couple of houses, a couple of hotels here and there, and one of my other brothers ran out of money. And he said, well, it's, you know, it's a crummy day, let's just keep playing. I said, uh, no, <laughs> you owe me. My other brother paid it, and then they, <laughs> Then they began to work against me. <laughs> they gave each other free passage on their property and only charged me when I land on it. Well, I became angry at this injustice. And well, you know what happened. I grabbed the side of the board, right? And yes, the pieces went everywhere. The hotels, the empires, all scattered in directions. And I raced off to my room. I did not arrive safely. <laughs> And just as it says in scripture, the ungrateful and unforgiving servant was tortured. <laughs> Will you pray with me? <laughs> Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. You heard the story in the Gospel of Matthew. Peter first asks, how often should I forgive? Seven times. Jesus says, uh, 70 times seven. And then he tells a parable that the kingdom of God is like a servant with a ridiculously high debt owed to a king, and miraculously the debt is forgiven. However, right, the unforgiving servant, or the forgiven servant, is unable to muster enough grace in his own heart and immediately, immediately refuses to forgive another person. And the king is livid. Now, my sense is that one of the reasons Jesus tells us stories, parables, is because with a story, we just might be able to see ourselves in it. I mean, Jesus never says to us, I'm going to tell you about a forgiving king and an unforgiving servant, but it's really about God and you and your neighbor. But rather, Jesus says something even more important to us. And he says, the kingdom of God is like this. And so we hear that Jesus doesn't give us forgiveness as a suggestion, um, one possible path, an option among several. No, he suggests that forgiveness is a mark of the people of God. But that's really hard to live into. I mean, forgiveness can be a challenge. I mean, let's be honest, sometimes anger is a much more satisfying response. And I get it, I do. There are some things that you say or still are saying or said 
forgive? No way. I'm not ready. And I get that. If you're not ready, forgiveness might feel cheap or even worse, contemptible. Because some hurts, some hurts go so deep that we're not able to forgive for quite some time. Maybe not a long time. Other hurts might be more modest. Or maybe the person is genuinely sorry. And then the journey to forgiveness is a little shorter. But whether the journey to forgiveness is long or short, Jesus tells us that the communion of saints, the kingdom of God, is impossible without forgiveness. But I also don't want us to confuse forgiveness with simply tolerance of something or, or it's forgive and forget. It isn't anything like that at all. I mean, tolerance simply tries to overlook or avoid the hurt. But forgiveness, and we saw it with Miss Hope this morning, forgiveness begins to dissolve the hurt and finds a way to soften our hearts towards the one who has harmed us. Still, I think forgiveness is a journey. The deeper the hurt, the longer we might be on it. And sometimes, sometimes the first step is the most difficult one. So how might the journey begin? Marilyn Robinson's one of my favorite writers, and she wrote a book entitled Home. And in Marilyn Robinson's book, one of the main characters is a Presbyterian minister by the name of Reverend Boughton. And in one of his sermons in the book, Marilyn Robinson, through her mouthpiece, Reverend Boughton, talks about forgiveness. And Reverend Boughton says, too many people believe that you must understand before you can forgive. This is wrong, he says. You forgive in order to understand. If you forgive, he goes on to say, you may still not understand. But if you forgive, you will be ready to understand. And that is the posture of grace. Posture of grace. I heard a pastor once at the Chautauqua Institution tell an absolutely remarkable story where his journey to forgiveness well preceded his understanding of his hurt. The person who told the story is a pastor now. He was the president of one of our nation's finest divinity schools. And his father had been a Baptist pastor in Long Island, New York. Actually, his father started a church there. And since it was a church start, their home was the physical church. And so this pastor who was telling the story, adult pastor, now said that his bedroom every Sunday morning was transformed into the children's Sunday school room. His parents' living room became the sanctuary. And as he was telling the story, he remembered back that every Saturday night at the family dinner, he and his brother would be given by their Baptist pastor father a Bible verse to memorize. They would have to know it by the next Saturday night's dinner. They hated it, he said. 
Well, when the church was several years old, there was a great scandal, and his father, in abject shame and humiliation, left. But not just the church. He left everyone who's not to be heard from again. The son never saw his father again. His mother was so traumatized, she was hospitalized for a lengthy period of time. Finally, the church, his brother came home from college to take care of him. He was in high school. The church said, we're going to have a new pastor come. It's the church's house. You're going to have to move out. So he and his brother literally began to hitchhike to an uncle's in Florida. And in the Virginia Hills, they're caught in a snowstorm, and they sat by the side of the road on their suitcases, hoping to be picked up by another car coming by. A state trooper stopped and said, you're not going to be picked up. The road's closed. I got to go up to help with an accident, the trooper said, and I'll come back and pick you up. And so as he was telling the story, he remembered that he and his brother sat there and the snow beginning to pile up on their shoulders and their hats. And they talked about baseball and talked about girls, wondered about their dad. He'd been gone for a while, you know, a few months now, worried about their mom. And he said, after they ran out of things to talk about, his brother said to him, without any other context, he simply said, John 3.16. And he replied, for God so loved the world that whoever lives and believes in Christ shall never die. And he said then back to his brother, John 14. And his brother responded, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And back and forth they went throwing out the biblical verses they had memorized in their childhood until the trooper returned. Well, the person telling the pastor telling the story then fast-forwarded 30 years in his own life, and as I said, at this point in time, he was president of a wonderful divinity school. And he said years earlier he had genuinely come to forgive his father and actually had spent more time wondering where he was and worried about him than he was angry. And then out of the blue, he received a call from the Florida Police Department. And you know, of course, what they said. Are you related to, and they said his father's name. His father had died. So his now adult pastor, president of a seminary son, went to Florida and officiated a graveside service for his long absent father, at which the only people in attendance were the funeral director and the trooper sitting in his car his brother declined to attend. The trooper gave him his father's possessions. They fit in a box. And in the box was his father's exceedingly well-worn Bible. He obviously had used it every day for the last 30 years. And inside on the front page, written in, the, in a list of names, was his father's prayer list. And at the top of the list were his and his brother's names. The top of the list, he said. But here's where Reverend Bowden, Marilyn Robinson's fictional pastor, was so right. Forgiveness precedes understanding. Having forgiven his father years earlier, he now and only now began to understand that his father had never forgotten them, never stopped loving them. That, I think, is the forgiveness, is the journey from forgiveness to understanding. That is the posture of grace.
That is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. I mean, you might be saying, and, and you'd be right, how could he forgive that? As if his father's absence didn't matter. It did matter. That's not the point. It was hurtful. Yet in the end, Marilyn Robinson, I think, was right. Because in this case, forgiveness preceded. Maybe forgiveness actually made possible the understanding that unfolded at his father's death. He would have never discovered that he was loved if he hadn't forgiven first. He told his brother how much he was loved as well. That is the posture of grace. May it be so. Amen.